Welcome to the Seek Wilderness Podcast, a platform for outdoor adventures of storytelling, for gaining basic knowledge of hunting, fishing, and woodsmanship. A place to find inspiration to go do epic stuff this week. Seek Wilderness. Welcome back to Sequel Nurse Podcast. John, how was your weekend? Uh, the weekend was, uh, it went by fast, man. So my oldest daughter turned 17 on the 19th, and my youngest daughter turns two on the 18th. So we did both of their birthdays Saturday, and that leaked into Sunday. So, But it was good, man. How, good. how was yours? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. We had some, uh, I didn't get a chance to get out. I had to stick around the house on Sunday. My uh, wife pulled a muscle, a muscle on her back, and she was kind of oh, laid yeah. up for a day. Yeah, I had to go grocery shopping and everything yesterday. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. my my wife. She twisted her ankle, so she's in a boot. Mm-hmm. And then today, she's she's been sick with some kind of stomach thing all day. So hopefully Jeez. that won't go throughout the house. But uh, yep. But anyway, listen, man. I um. So since we started posting these things on on youtube um Mm -hmm. we did have a question come in i I thought this would be a good opportunity just to kind of address it 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 came from the um uh dieter's um youtube video and the guy doesn't have a name so we're just going to call him al Al, okay (laughs) we'll just just call him al that's my tax Uh, guy but okay Uh, so he, he, his original question was any strategies for WMA hunting in New Jersey? And, you know, so after, after just responding a couple of times, basically what he's saying is that he's only seeing bucks during on scrapes during the rut. He has bucks on scrapes at night. Um, but he feels like he moved closer to bedding, but even still is only seeing, you know, does during daylight and, and no bucks. And I said, Hey, you know what, let's see if we can, uh, Todd and I can, brainstorm this thing for you and get you get you some ideas and or strategies or thoughts so you want to tackle this one yeah let's go so first of all you you said he's talking about a wildlife management area so um more than likely he's going to probably have skewed numbers anyway so most wildlife management areas in new jersey there's not going to be as many bucks as there is does for number one so that that's that's one thing he's got to consider um you said something that he's getting like nine does on up to nine does, cam- yeah, up during to nine daylight. does on during camera daylight. during daylight, right? Yeah. So <laughs> when when you generally scout public land in New Jersey, I find that you're you're gonna get into you should get into does pretty quick, but um, there is pieces where there's not a lot of bucks. There's there's food for the does and there's enough bedding for you know. A, a, a few doe groups, but the bucks will bet off. They could be off in the reed someplace and then, uh, inland a little bit. Um, I have, a let's put it this way. I have a place that is a doe factory all fall long, but mm-hmm. in the rut right around the last week of October, bucks will come in from the reeds. So it's a little bit higher ground. It's not reed property. So it's not, 
you know, coastal and stuff. It's not reed property. And there won't be many bucks in there at all in the early season in October and September and all that stuff that you won't even get like nighttime pictures. There won't be rub scrapes, nothing in there. And then right around October bucks will come floating in from all the farms around the area, all the reeds and all that kind of stuff. So that's not really uncommon to have yeah. a place that's loaded with does. It's well, really my, not. My thought. So he was, he's getting, he's getting pictures of bucks at night. Now I didn't, I didn't ask, you know, Okay. How how although it's dark, how close to last light or or first light is it? Just to get some point of reference, because my my initial thought was that um, he because he said he found bedding. Um, so my my thought with all the does, he's probably in doe bedding mm-hmm. in a doe bedding area um, or very very close to it. Which typically, you know, from what I've seen, bucks are going to be um, you know further off that. Um, so he either needs to go, I would say at least 75, wherever the direction of those does are coming in, I would say go 75 yards to a hundred yards in deeper scouting, or if you don't have time to scout, just do it, do it on a, do it on a hunt and see what you can see what you can find there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, I, I don't. I mean, not knowing whether the, you know, how close to private or anything like that, if he's seeing those bucks, um, you know, during, during the rut, but at night, um, leads me to think that it's a, probably a pretty heavily, heavily hunted, high pressured area. Right. But, but they gotta be somewhere. They gotta be somewhere. What do you think? I mean, even if they're coming at 10 o'clock at night, they, they still gotta be somewhere. So, so Al, Right now, you're asking the question, and it's we're just getting into green up right now. So you're asking the question right now, but in all actuality, in the last two months, you should have been in those. In, in my opinion, you should have been in those areas and figuring out where the bucks are bedding. So if you, a lot of guys just call a thick area that they find a lot of beds in a bedding area, and it is for does. Yes. So, so the difference between the buck buck bedding and, and, and doe bedding <clears throat> sometimes can only be like 50 yards, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the piece, size of the piece. So some of these little places are really, really small. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that will, will you can decipher between does and bucks, does will, will there'll, there'll be groups of, of beds yep. in an area. So they're not using, generally, they're not using any of the terrain features at all to their advantage does yep when they're in doe groups when they're in family groups and and two and three year old does that are with the an older mom or something like that and then the fawns from that that following year the you know the past spring though they're just protecting themselves by having sheer numbers yep. looking in all different directions eyes and ears in all different direction and noses bucks are going to have some sort of feature that allows them to watch what's going on from generally they're going to be overwatching a, a trail where humans come in from or every possible, you know, some they're, they're going to have a place that's so thick, so nasty. So, or, or just some sort of structure that they know nothing can get behind them. Mm-hmm. They're going to have that and they're going to be watching or smelling 
towards where everything could possibly come from, from where danger can come from. So bucks and does bed completely different. This is the time of year. You still got a little bit of time. This is the time of year to lock those pieces and find those. Find those single beds that are on, on a little bluff overlooking a spot or on a little, even a little four-foot rise in a very, very flat spot or in a real low spot. A little. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a clump of roots at the base of a tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? That gives him enough advantage to be able to know there's water behind him, but yet he can watch the land in front of him kind of thing. So you almost wonder then would it make sense? Um, if, if he's focused on this scrape, figure the prevailing wind, or if he has trail camera data of these Mm -hmm. does coming to the scrape, look back at the dates of those, see what the wind was. And then, get downwind from that scrape uh, as far as you can until you see what it is that you're talking about, some sort of possible elevation, um, back cover, something like along those lines. Yeah, I, I would do that, but I would do that in the wintertime. And then yeah, since yeah. he does have he does have some nighttime pictures or some pictures of bucks, like he's got he's got some data there that I would never have. He's got trail cam yeah. pictures. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of backtrack from where the – the deer was coming from going coming from and going to you know what i mean yep. like he's got like a, a, a direction and yep. he's got a time stamp so it's not he knows if it was morning he knows if it was just an hour after dark yeah you, know, you know what I mean? he's got time stamp there as long as his camera's all set up right so he's yep. got a lot more data than i would have so i would use some of that information and backtrack that yeah. that buck back yeah. to beds and go find those beds and that buck in, in one piece might have two or three different beds that he that he favors and it could be just basically wind base and get down mm-hmm. in the bed. I know it, it sounds corny and everything, but just get to the bed, find the bed and just figure out like what's making that buck bed right here. It, that bed's right. going to be way bigger than those doe beds. It's, it's going to be by it's, itself. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be by it's itself. It's going to be by itself. It's going to yeah. be way bigger. And there's going to be, a, he's going to have, he's going to almost have his back against a tree or a mm-hmm. deadfall or, a, right. you know what I mean? A, a clump of trees or something like that. He's going to have his back against something like that where the yep. does are just, they're just going to be spread out. They're going to be in like a circle, you yep. know, we didn't get any snow this year, but that's the best time to go find those, yeah. those things. Yeah. But um, I think the bucks will bed. And as we get closer to the rut, they're going to find the buck is going to find a mound or a, a a little high spot or just a really good spot where he can monitor those does coming through. He knows where those does are bedding so he can monitor them. And, 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 um, I mean, when you get late October and early, early November, um, that's when there there'll be bucks that that bed solely on watching doe groups or, or watching trails of doe groups. And then when we get into that first week in November, then they're just, they're just up. It's random, not necessarily random. They're go. They're they got specific places they're going, but they are are traveling even during the daytime. You know, yeah. from anytime yeah. from nine thirty to ten o'clock in the morning, they get back up up, and they're and that's when I see the majority of my my bucks in the rut. Is, yeah, you know, never never sunrise unless they're with a doe or something that you know what I mean. Like you kick a doe and a a buck off each other mm-hmm. or something like that. But the bucks are laying on their bellies until like nine thirty in the morning. In my experience, yeah. Yeah, you know, during the during the the rut, I did I did see uh, of the bucks that I've seen during the rut. You're right. I've I've only seen one. Say one out of I'm thinking this past this past season, mm-hmm. one out of four or five that was like thirty minutes after sunrise. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, so I, I, I think what's going on there is they're if they're with a doe, they're going to be laid up someplace yep. off. You know, that doe is going to dictate when they're moving. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he's with her. So if he's locked down with a doe, she's already doing what does would do. She's already back laying down at sunrise or, you know, first yeah. half hour after sunrise, whatever she's laying down there in some secluded little area laid down. You're not going to see that, that buck anyway. Yeah. What I'm yeah. talking about, what I'm looking for is the bucks that are either coming off a doe, looking, still looking for a doe that don't have does. Those bucks are going to lay down till about nine thirty because they were up all night hitting yep. all the nightclubs. You know yep. what I mean? They, yep. they were all with the you know, chasing and trying to find a, a girl all night long, and then they're going to come home and be like, or or not necessarily come home, but c- go to a place that offers good cover in the morning. They're going to yep. lay up for a little bit, and then around nine thirty, they're going to be get anxious to get up and start moving again. And that's that's usually from like the fourth or fifth of November. Until the tenth or tenth to twelfth of November is when, yeah. when you're looking for those cruisers, you know. Yep. So, good deal. In my experience, yeah, good deal. So, uh, Al, hopefully that gives you at least some, some thoughts. Um, and and I, I I wouldn't suggest waiting until next winter to to do that. Go go in go in there as soon as you can, or even if you can't get in there till the fall, do it anyway. Because yeah. what you can do is then add another piece, replicate the thing, and and yep. you know for next year or yeah, our high bush stuff like our our everything that's budding bushes with with buds and and leaves. The leaves yeah. are sprouting now. The trees are getting good sized leaves on them now. But yeah. the ground isn't necessarily all the grass isn't filled in on the ground. So you're gonna you're still you're gonna be able to see tracks. You're gonna be able to see trails. You're gonna be able to see rubs yeah. and scrapes are still you know you are still you can still find. The, yep. the rubs and scrapes you know what i mean you can yep. still find them right now so all right good deal yep so uh well this is we're starting our second episode of traditional bow series um mm-hmm. traditional bow month i guess is what we're doing right yep so you want to tell tell the folks of our uh about our next guest yeah our next guest is somebody that i'm really surprised that he even like answered my anything from me i mean this dude is uh he has got one video that's got 1.8 million views in the Mm -hmm. traditional archery realm that's Mm -hmm. pretty huge man you know what i mean he was the producer of of a huge video um probably one of the biggest um traditional um podcasts slash video type thing that's this went on in the last five or six years um he was one of the original people on the push um you know he his sense uh kind of did split off and is doing his own thing now he just started at the beginning of the year yeah but um it's tim nebel of um the traditional bow hunting podcast um nice. like i said he was one of the original uh producers and and uh owners of the push um so I'm anxious, really, really anxious to get him on the line and start talking to him. And um, if you did any, if you looked at any of the links and anything that I sent you about his background and some of the things he's been involved in, dude, it's uh, it's very impressive. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, we're going to jump over to that conversation right now. Let's do All it. Right. All right, welcome back to the Seek Wilderness Podcast. You guys already got the intro to this one. 
So uh, let's yep. go right into it. Mr. Tim Neville. Dude, Welcome thank you so him. much for coming on here, man. You're you're a big guest for us. I don't know why, but I got when I saw that countdown five, four, three, two, one, I just got nervous. I got like a sick feeling in my stomach for some <laughs> Wait, what? Really? I, I will say this. I wish that you would have had me on before Mike Verity, Murder Inc. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm complete amateur mode compared to him. So you should have had me on before him in that order. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, buddy. I, you're killing some slobs. I've been following you for, well, let's put it this way. So one of the very first things I ran into some content with a, a, a group that you used to be involved with, um, that was when I started making my switch. I mean, I think there's 1.8 million people that have watched that, that video. And that's probably been the first step of probably 1.2 million people that have watched it when they decided that in the last seven or eight years that they want to switch over to traditional, I think that's probably the first video that they watch. So, um, to, to be able to have somebody, um, that is been pushing our game, been pushing our sport the way that you, you have, um, in the last seven or eight years is really, really big to me, man. I really appreciate that you you've taken the time to come on here and, and, and just, why don't you quickly go ahead and, and uh, introduce yourself to our listeners? Some some of the people we don't necessarily we're not necessarily a traditional bow hunting. We're, we're more of a a general outdoors, but we've been in the the whitetail uh, hole since we started eight months ago or something like that, and we haven't been able to get out of it very much. Yeah, so, that's that's my jam. That's, yeah. that's thing. it's. I also understand it's trad month. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. It's going to go probably a month and a half. We we got seven people eight people lined up so already so so real real quick i'm sorry so for everybody listening like as we're recording this we're hearing todd kind of get garbled here and there and we've tried troubleshooting this my uh hope and prayer is that as this gets uh recorded and uploaded that 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 goes away but uh we should be able to get the gist of the conversation hopefully so don't don't leave us because of Todd's garbly goop there but um <laughs> <That's> severe itis <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just wanted to get that out uh, up front because uh, we we tried to resolve it, and you know we're just hunters that oh we decided to start a podcast and wonder why sometimes. Yeah. With that, Tim, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my name's Tim Nebel. I am 38 years old. I just turned 38 a few weeks ago. I live in Southeast Ohio. I was born and raised in Western PA uh, with a dad that was an absolute and still is whitetail maniac so i grew up seeing that um some of my earliest memories were kind of waiting by the back door and looking through the glass window for him to get home from his hunts and checking his quivers seeing if he was a an arrow short you know on cold october november days so i that's that's kind of what i grew up seeing he was carrying me around the woods on his shoulders and uh yeah i grew up in western pa Started out rifle hunting when I was 12. That's the legal age in PA when you're 12. Uh, got pretty into it at that point. Started to bow hunt a little bit in my teens. Had a, a hand-me-down compound. I think it was a pro line from my one of my uncles gave me. Uh, yeah, early to mid-90s, he gave me that bow and some 2117s from a local shop and some uh, old satellite Titan broadheads and kind of just told me, you know, here's an old hand-me-down tree stand, go at it. And I just failed and failed and failed for probably six or eight years. I had a lot of encounters and just didn't have a lot of success. And 
Um, eventually things started to click with the compound and uh, several years after that made the switch to traditional. Right around the same time I moved to Ohio, I the, kind of the driving factor between uh, you know with me moving here was we had a really short season in PA. You had to be done bow hunting by like the second week of November, like November 10th, 11th, 12th, something like that. It's like just when things are getting good, mm-hmm. you can't bow hunt anymore. And I remember thinking like these last two days of the season every year are the best action I ever see. And then like, boom, it's over. You can't hunt anymore. So I uh, was a single guy at that point. It just kind of picked up, changed jobs and found a little nasty apartment over here and just moved in to sucked it up for a couple of years. And, but, um, but yeah, over here, you know, we have a super long season. You can hunt till from like the last weekend of September to about groundhog day. So it's, Mm-hmm. And uh, deer a little bit bigger too, so it's yeah. So I, you know, made myself happy over here and found a found a wife. <laughs> we have a little boy now, and yeah, I just kind of started a life over here. So that's about it. That's it, right? Okay, case closed. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a little more to it there, Tim Neville. I really do. So, like I said, I've been following you for you know just you know seven or eight years, whatever, however long my, my, uh, traditional journey is, you know, um, the, the podcasts and, and, and things that you've done, you, you, you're basically right up there with Joe Rogan in the traditional space as one of the OGs of, of podcasting for, especially for traditional, if not all of bow hunting. So, um, yeah, you're one of the OGs, man, for sure. So, mm-hmm. Some of the things that you've put out there, you know, you've done a lot of videos and you've, you know, done a lot of content work, um, with, um, the old group that you're with. So, um, some of the, the deer that you've killed over the years, man, um, the adjustment to a, to a different state, I think has really kind of paid off. I mean, Western Pennsylvania has been really up and coming in the last, last few years, but, um, I think Southeast Ohio is proven for you to, yeah, you you killed some slobs out there, man. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm losing it a little bit there, but I think I got most of it. Yeah, uh, Western PA there. There's a couple without giving too much away and, and pissing people off that live there. There's there's a few pockets in Western PA that are really 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 good, like as good as as good as anywhere in Ohio, even into like Indiana and, and Illinois um, for sure. But the the area that I was in, it wasn't really like that. It was kind of you know, there might, there might be a 115, 120 inch eight point that you would see in a year, maybe, you know, and it's mm-hmm. at that point it was kind of, I mean, it was still fun. You know, it was, it was, you know, the, the number one hobby that I had, you know, it was, it was fun enough and, and enriching enough of, of a pastime to be a, you know, to really possess me as a young kid. But, um, I think, for a lot of people, there just comes a point where you're like, man, I gotta, I either have to go on an out of state trip every year or, you know, when you really get ate up with it, yeah. start to, you know, want to kind of look for something a little different. So, so at what point did you, uh, make the transition to trad or did you, you mentioned you had a compound. So at some point you had to make a transition, right? Yeah. I, I think it was 2015, I believe. Yeah, it was in the okay. summer of 2015, and I was that, I was that compound guy that had a new, or new to me compound every year. Like I would buy, 
I would get on AT, I'd be on Archery Talk, and I would buy a a bow that some dude had bought six months ago, shot 200 arrows through it, you know, he, and he's selling it for 70% of what he what he bought it for. So I would be that guy. I would have, I'd roll, I'd roll through like two bows a year like that, just trying to find, trying to try out everything I possibly could. But that was like, you know, it kind of got, I don't know, it just, I don't want to say it got boring, but it just got, I just wanted to see, you know, what else was out there. And, and I'm, I'm guessing you guys are going to ask me like, what, what was the main driving factor, you know, about you to, of switching to traditional. And it's, I think for me, it was, I think you asked Verity that same question. <laughs> and for me, it was, I wanted the, I wanted the opportunities that I had. I wanted the encounters that I had during deer season to be more, um, more dramatic. It's kind of a weird word to use there, but I wanted them to be more, um, you know, more dramatic. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. I mean, um, I, I, I can't imagine right now, like more dramatic. Um, I can see like the main reason to being, this is just me. I'm not, putting words in your not trying to put words in your mouth uh it's almost like more primal it's as primal as you can get as a hunter um from generations ago going back to those roots and that that to me is what's like really attractive about uh traditional bow hunting yeah yeah primal is a good word too and i can see this because i hunt i currently hunt some of the same farms that i used to with a compound and there's a few sets that I have, a few trees that I hang stands in that I know the tree that I used to sit in prior to 2015 and now the tree that I sit in now. And it's a difference between like I would hang a, I would hang a stand 25 yards from a trail. And now that I'm hanging that same stand 10 yards from the trail. Yeah. So now I can see, and I can hear that deer breathing. I can see the whites of his eyes. I can, you know, you can see flies landing on his nose when he's coming. I guess that's what I mean by yeah dramatic it's just more of a kind of like a personal encounter yeah, yeah intimate it's it's intimate it's, word too. yeah it's, it's a lot more intimate and your setups and your 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 scouting your just every bit of your plan um has got to be buttoned up tight it's got to be you you have to think about 15 yards and in you know those even 20 yeah I mean, I would always set up with a compound 20, 25 yards. That, that would be my thing. But now it's, I'm, I'm lower to the ground. I, I set up lower to try to get that as much profile of, of the, that, that deer as I can with, with uh less bone structure that's up on the, you know, on the top side of, of the deer. Um, and the deer, there's just so much to the traditional, uh, lifestyle and, and everything there i'm doing things that i was doing when i was 12 years old 30 40 years ago you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, and even there's there's other things that are more involved in it too you know what i mean like i always just took knives and stuff like that to my grandfather when i was a kid because his generation knew how to sharpen things and you know like the, one of the very first things you got to learn once you get your bow set up is how to how to clean up broadheads because you're going to be missing they're going to be falling off your bow and going into falling into the dirt you know what i mean like there's so the whole learning curve uh, and all your the learning curve really is is just setting us back about 40 or 50 years ago to when that's what the bow hunters were doing back in those days they were reading 
they were reading sign. They were looking for tracks. They weren't worried about the, the trail cameras as much. They were out there actually scouting and reading sign and getting themselves as close as they could back in those days. And that part of the game for me is what I love about it. And I, I really, really love that part. So when I hear you talk about the setups, how, how they've changed and evolved when you went back to trad, Tim, or went to trad, that right there, I mean, that that tightens a, a, a bolt in in my heart. You know what I mean? Like, that that's something that just is always grinding my gears. You know what I mean? Like, and to hear somebody else say it and, and put it in those words. And, and, and you're really good with the way you, you speak, too. So, um, I'm not. <laughs> so. I feel like I'm terrible with the way I speak. No, dude. No, dude. Think, you're not. I think you're, we all think that way not. about ourselves. Yeah, you're you're a word crafter. Let's put it that way. You when I've listened to so many of your podcasts over over the years, and you know, if I'm driving out to go trout fishing or something like that, the new the new put you know the new podcast came out this week. I got to listen to it. Or if I was, I did a lot of screen time. I was a salesman for the last few years, and a lot of a lot of uh, windshield time, mm. um, and. The thing I always liked about your perspective, your perspective has always been more of a hunter than a, uh, like a, um, than trying to be a world-class archer or a competitive archer. And that's one of the things where I've always been able to relate with your, your side of things so well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's not that I, you know, overlook the shooting aspect. I still shoot like crazy. I mean, I I shoot, (laughs) Um, I kind of, you know, I, of course, slow down and like our season ends in February. I don't shoot much the second half of February to March, but like once it starts warming up, like now I'm shooting, yeah. especially in the July, August, I'm shooting a lot, but like, just like you said, I kind of, if I have, if I have three hours to burn today on archery and on bow hunting, I'm going to shoot for a half hour and I'm going to, you know, take that other two and a half hours and like yeah, look for sign or move a stand. I'm, I'm like a paranoid schizophrenic about moving tree stands. And like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of situations where I'll, I'll hang a set. I'll sit in it for 20 minutes on, on a three hour sit in an afternoon and I'll sit in it for 20 minutes and talk myself out of it. Right. It isn't where I need to, I can't, I can't picture that this going down here, I need to move and I'll move 60 yards. So, mm-hmm. which is probably, it probably bites me. A lot too. But. So, are you hunting? Are you hunting pretty mobile? You got a, a pretty mobile setup. How How is your um, as far as your your gear list and your kit right now? As far as in the season, um, I would assume that you probably have a mixture of of some mobile stuff. Is you know, being that you're you're hunting some farms, you're saying so probably a lot of private land. So, most people would understand that that in private land there's just there's certain pinch points in certain places that set up perfectly to to have a permanent stand set up in them um so i would assume you probably have a mix is that am i correct in that that's pretty accurate i have i have ladder stands that stay in place not too many that maybe like four or five ladders that stay in place mm-hmm. but i have i have a, a couple older lone wolf assaults and i have a, a beast stand also and i kind of like Leap, I play like leapfrog with those stands. Like that, they're kind of mobile, but you know, I'll mm-hmm. I might hang one in an afternoon, and if I think it's a good spot, I'll leave it, knowing mm-hmm. I have a truck to move around. And I just kind of like bump those three stands around. So it's it might not be hanging and hunting every single sit, but I have 
I have three mobile stands that I'm constantly shifting, you know, around it, depending on what I've seen or what cameras are telling me or what pressure is telling me. I, I use that a lot too. Mm-hmm. That's what, good. So you're, what, you're uh, ooh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead, John. Well, well I, I was, I was going to say, um, I'm, I'm totally switching it. Cause I, something's going through my mind going back to like how you got started in traditional bow and then what, I'm curious to know, like, what drove you? I mean, we can talk about gear all day, and we want to get back back to that because I want to know what like your bow setup is. Not that I'm going traditional this year, but but what what drove you to um, like get into the content creation side of things? Because you've done incredible with that, both from the podcast and uh, video or YouTube side as well. So, was that did it all start at the same time for you, or is that How'd that come about? Uh, that came about, I think I, I was <clears throat> heavily, heavily influenced by the Heartland Bowhunter guys. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, this was like 2011, 2012. Um, I, was, I was working and living on the road, uh, living out of a hotel. I was doing gas leasing. And yeah. another guy on my crew, one of my best friends in the world, Adam Jablonski, he was, he was working on the crew with me. And he was a big bow hunter too. So we would you know work during the day in the evenings, drive around, look for deer, drive around, look for turkeys, and we would hunt together also. And that was really when the HB guys were kind of taking off and becoming like a mainstream. Uh, They were basically like reinventing how people did outdoor filmmaking at that point, like 2010, 11, 12. We were, you know, we just got obsessed with those guys big time. And, you know, watching all their stuff and, and really getting into it. And one day uh, we were, I remember like it was yesterday, we were sitting in our hotel room after work and we were watching an episode of that show and they were hunting in North Dakota on an episode and they were hunting deer in North Dakota. And I said, Adam, I said, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Like if we could go up there and hunt with those guys or like, you know, and see what this is all about in different state. Cause neither one of us had hunted out of state before. Hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send that guy an email. Nate Flynn was his name. If you guys recognize Nate Flynn from the HB crew. So I just popped on. So I think I sent him a Facebook message or an email or something from his website and said, you guys ever take, ever take any deer hunters in there in camp or whatever, thinking like he's probably not going to answer back. Mm. Well, like 30 minutes later, he answered back. He's like, yeah. And this was, you know, like July or so. He said, yeah, like we'll take you guys. You guys want to come up and hunt with us for a week or whatever. Seriously. Hell yeah. So we drove 20 some hours up to North Dakota, Adam and I, and spent a week with, yeah, Sean Lechtel and Mike Huntsucker and Nate really? Flynn, Tyler Worsick. Yeah, it was awesome. That is awesome. It was awesome. I mean, so, so Sean, I mean, Sean and Mike literally taught me how to run my camera in camp and camp that week. You know, I, wow. I remember Huntsucker taught me how to take a picture of the moon, like a, like a, not a long exposure shot, but like how to expose a shot of the moon on the back of the tailgate in there. And hmm. there, that is awesome. <laughs> kind of, you know, we, I mean, we kind of kept in a little bit of contact with those guys afterward and just kind of left there possessed, I guess. And just, you know, we had a couple cheap DSLRs at the time and we spent that fall and the next fall, the next fall, just filming each other on turkey hunts and deer hunts. And it's kind of, you know, snowballed a little bit from there. But yeah, that, I think that was definitely what kind of lit our fire with that stuff. Did, did you ever go out and produce with South? Were you ever one of the years? There was a, there was a few years that I think it was either Ben went out there 
and mm-hmm. and then uh, the following year you went out to, is am i correct in saying that so i Did went you? out i went out before ben i was out with south in colorado in 2018 2018 okay and i went <clears throat> excuse me i went again with him to nevada in maybe like 2021 or so 2020 2021 something like that but okay so spent those couple hunts with with south out there but i've also edited most of south stuff like most of the stuff you've seen from south from the last five six years you know a lot of it someone else will film and he'll you know they'll send me the footage and i'll edit it too okay yeah so you're yeah you got producers out there on the trips that you're not there but you produce some some pretty epic stuff to it i think ben 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 makes some pretty good films as well yeah um, I, don't, I don't deserve to be in the same paragraph as ben massey as far as no, i don't yeah ben, ben is next level type yeah he's he's like national graphic national geographic kind of kind of stuff yeah. He's pretty good, but I remember um, the year that you went with South. It was a velvet hunt, I think. Correct? A velvet muley hunt. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty epic, <laughs> pretty epic film, man. It really was. Yeah, that was that was a crazy experience. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been friends with South for a while. I shoot his bows and everything, and I sent him a message one night. I was watching one of his videos on YouTube, and I it's like ten o'clock at night, and I sent him a message and said, "Hey, if you're ever looking for a cameraman." you know, hit me up, maybe I'll come out. And he's like, actually I am. And it was one of those, those last minute notice things too. It was like, you know, June and he does that in August. Right. So he, I am in a month and a half. If you want to line stuff up and I just, you know, like I'll probably never have this opportunity again. I scrambled and, you know, talked to my boss and got some time to work. And yeah, it's, that's a gnarly trip. 10 days in the, in the back country with that guy, you know, trying yeah. to keep, Twelve thousand feet, and yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Is he is he is he a beast up there or what, man? Yeah, he is. He he. I think he just turned fifty. I hope I have that right. If he listens to this and he's not fifty, he'll be he'll be peeved. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, he moves around like he's eighteen. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't. Yeah, he's just the, he moves around like that, and he has no he has no fear uh, as far as like dangerous terrain and maneuvering around you know mm-hmm. rock ledges and stuff and like if you're a if you're a midwestern guy you know you've never really spent time on that kind of that kind of habitat you know you're like skipping across rock ledges and stuff with a giant weighted backpack on it's kind of like gives you the willies but yeah he just he's literally like a goat he's like a mountain goat <laughs> that's that's cool well, hey, let's let's take it back to Tim. This is the Tim the Tim episode, but um, <laughs> you, your story's not complete without telling the, about that trip or those trips, though. You know what I mean? So, um, so let, let's take it back to to the Southeast Ohio and some of the whitetails that you're getting on there. Um, are you like like you said? I I, I can kind of tell by what you had said earlier about if I had three hours. Um, 30 minutes is going to be shooting my bow and the other two and a half is going to be out scouting or moving something around or, or learning something about the deer on the properties that you hunt. So scouting, you and I are, are, are close when it comes to that kind of stuff. I love scouting deer and that's what makes you successful in the fall. Um, but what, what kind of, you know, maybe go a little before the baby coming, what kind of time were you putting in, you know, what, 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 Want to say, yeah. What did a year look like? What did a year look like in the life of Tim Neville? 
preparing for deer season? Um, I, I do a lot or I used to do more. So now, like you said, but, um, July, August and, and the whole month of September, I used to dude. I would be glassing fields, like sitting up against the round bale every single night. Like I'd get home from work at five o'clock, take the, you know, take care of the dog, walk the dog for a minute. And I'd be back to a hay bale until dark every mm-hmm. single night. There's, I'm lucky enough to most of the properties that I hunt or some of the public that I hunt is within 15 minutes of the house. Everything is right around the house. I mean, it's literally why I bought my house because I had hunted these farms previously. So it's, you know, everything's super close and convenient, but yeah, just toward the tail end of summer, a lot of glassing. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I, I do run a lot of cameras year round just to kind of keep tabs on what deer are doing. I'm, I'm running cameras right now, but I, uh, as the summer goes on, I kind of like, I think I do things differently than a lot of people do with cameras. I will have a camera in an area say it's, we're talking like 4th of July or so mm-hmm. I'll have, and I only have like maybe six trail cameras and I'll put a camera out with some salt or half a bag of corn or something in July. And I'll put it in an area and I'll say, I'm going to leave this sit for a week. I'm going to check it in a week. If there's nothing worth going after on this camera i'm bumping it so i'll make those six trail cameras act like a hundred trail cameras after after a month you know i'll hit whatever that is six times times four you're hitting like 24 different spots Mm -hmm. with those trail cameras in in the span of a month so i i kind of like it's kind of nerve-wracking when you're trying to keep track of that many things and and bounce around that much but what i find in the summertime tell me if you guys see differently where you're at but um, I might bump a camera in the summer in July or August and I might bump it 300 yards and I'll get totally different bucks on that camera than I would in spot number one, 300 yards away. It seems like they're just, they don't move that much around here. I don't know if it's, the, if it's our terrain here, just, you know, we have a lot of hill, hilly kind of terrain here and small patches of wood. They don't move very much mm-hmm. or what, but yeah, I just, I feel like I have to, and if I can't, if I can't glass deer, like I said, we have a ton of hills and terrain here, so I can't always glass, you know, I'm not sitting in a truck glassing half a mile away. Sometimes you can only see 300 yards into a field. So I really let cameras do the work sometimes. I've, yeah. um, I, I've, I've experienced, um, cause I, I primarily hunt ag. So, um, not, I'm not on field edges, but I'll, you know, post a camera up may june maybe 50 yards off of a main trail going out to out to feed out to the field and then july august i'll take i've taken that camera and moved it back and what i'm doing is trying to narrow it down to where the more mature bucks are and um so i've seen that maybe 200 yards from that spot where the young bucks won't go only the mature bucks will so it's kind of similar yeah and I think people can trick themselves. Like they have a, they have a 40 acre farm or 40 acre property, piece of woods, whatever. And they say, well, I'm going to cover this with one camera and they'll put one camera on a, on a scrape on a field edge. And like, you know, they leave it sit there for a month and they go check it. Oh, nothing on this farm. Then it's like, yeah, maybe slide it back in the woods two, 300 yards. You might get yeah. something, something different on it. I, I especially see that, you know, like I said, June, July, August. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I don't run a whole lot of egg and I don't run cameras basically at all. So I'm, I'm more of a sign guy and a, a year round scouter. Um, I do take generally take uh, like turkey season off, but even most of the places where I'm turkey hunting, the only reason I'm turkey hunting there is because I've found birds from deer scouting. So I'm still in in those areas and I'm generally if I'm on a, a, a meadow or something like that, I'm seeing some of the deer that are popping antlers and everything that I'm going to probably be hunting in the fall anyway, in, in a lot of my spots. So I don't run cameras, so I don't have a lot of that. I never have been a camera guy. I just, I, I don't know why I, I don't have anything against them, obviously, but I just, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a 53, almost a 53 year old guy that comes from the UP and man, we, <laughs> I just like to, I, I like to cruise dirt roads. I love to find tracks. I love to find crossing spots. I love to find wet ground that that the deer leave uh tracks and 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 trails and scrapes and rubs that's that's my my thing there so i don't really have a lot of trail i can't really talk to that but um i do hunt some egg in the velvet season in in early opening state here um on the east coast so um we we do a lot of like bean field and just off bean field stuff in that velvet time frame there and uh, one of the guys I, I hunt with doing that, you know, we, he'll, he, him and I'll put some cameras out in the summertime, but we generally will put them out there around July in places that are getting corners of fields and stuff like that, that are getting pounded real, you know, you can tell by the tracks and, and, and the sign in there and how much they're nibbling and we'll put cameras up and leave them until that first week of August. And then just kind of check them on our way in to hunt um, for the most part, I would say. So, yeah, I'm not really a trail cam guy so i don't really have a lot of that kind kind of uh information really but hmm. yeah you guys are both in michigan john are you in michigan also no so we're we're in new jersey jersey okay south yeah jersey. We're, bo- yeah. we're both in south in south jersey like oh you're both in south jersey yeah, yeah. Okay. like the actual garden part of the garden state yeah it's a garden the southern part yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, like no, two. I'm originally from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, I yeah. when I was 18, I joined the service and was stationed in Philadelphia, which is just across the, you know, the river from South Jersey, and um, that's where I met my wife, my future wife at the time, and you know, so her and I've been in and out of here a little bit, you know, during the service times, and then a couple of years after the service, but for the most part, it's always been South Jersey, and to just get to the UP once once a year, something like that. So, gotcha. Yep. So, yeah, to me, I mean, when you have a child, that changes a lot of things. It it does. I've got two boys. I got a 26-year-old and a 15-year-old. So there's been a lot of change. I'm kind of at, uh, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. Tim, you'll be there eventually. Trust me, it, it, it will, it'll come a lot quicker than you think too, buddy. So enjoy it. Give a little bit of your deer time up right now. Trust me, that kid's way more important than the deer. Obviously, I don't have to tell you that, but um, and it comes back around, and you, you'll be able. To, it'll be a different game when you can start enjoying it with, with your child. You know what I mean? So that that changes. But um, so for right now, what you're seeing, you know, um, how how old is your your uh, your new one? He just turned eight months on Easter. Eight oh, months. So you haven't been wow. through a full. You haven't even been around the the, the sun one time yet. So yeah. you're still adjusted to this. This is all, you're learning on the fly right now, right? Yeah, yeah. He was he was born in August, beginning of August last year, and and 
you know, our season started in September, late September, and my wife was mm-hmm. still ready to leave at that point. So it was kind of, mm-hmm. it was easy, easier because, you know, she was home and everything. But now yeah. it'll be, it'll be a lot different this year. So, but my in-laws are close too, and they, they really help us out a lot and they love watching them. So that's but, good. That's the same. That's a similar situation with me. I have a well. She'll be two this this week. Um, she's my youngest. Okay. But there were there are many evenings where I throw her in the car seat and just go drive around. Yeah, using the scope, checking out fields, all that stuff, putting her to sleep. It's all good. Yeah. The other suggestion I would say is is uh, either get more cameras or if you don't use cell cameras. <laughs> Get cell cameras. It saves you a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use some cell cameras now. I have a few of them and man, they're, it's, it's like the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning <laughs> there and I don't, I don't use them. And I've talked to guys about this before, but like, I don't use them so much in a way that is going to like, you know, like I get up in the morning during season and like, Oh, buck move three or I got to get there. Like, I feel like that's yeah right. That's kind of a, a shady way to, to go about using cell cameras. And, and if people continue to do that, and I'm not saying everybody does that, but I think that, you know, more States will outlaw them eventually if that's the way that people are using them. But I more so use them to, I just really like looking at deer. I like yeah. watching deer. I like seeing what they're doing. And especially, um, I think you, when you're watching deer movement in real time, that are local to you, you know, I mean, my cell cameras are all within 10 miles of my house here. Mm-hmm. And when you're out and you know, you're in your backyard and you see that it's raining in my backyard and none of your cameras are blowing up, like you, you learn a lot more about deer movement relative to weather conditions than you would, Absolutely. than you would if you were pulling a camera card and looking at pictures from the last two months. You know, because not many people are going back and looking at like historical weather data, but when you're looking at it in real time and, you know, it's, it just rained for the past two hours and I didn't have a single picture of a deer during that rain. Like, you know, like they just don't like moving during heavy rain, but mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes after that rain, right? ding, 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 and your phone's blowing up like you, or, you know, certain wind directions, you can kind of see d- different movement or like. Yeah, I think that's when you really start to put the pieces together as far as like guys like to talk about barometric pressure changes. You can look at stuff like that and really correlate between, you know, what your what your cameras are telling you and what the weather is doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's um I didn't I didn't do it the past couple of years, but I got kind of like nerdy with it and started keeping a spreadsheet. Um, you know, wind directions and everything, but that was with S D card cameras, not not um, yeah, uh, cell cams, but with the cell cams, yeah, you're you you know exactly what the wind's doing at the time of that because you're getting the you're getting the image, and that's that's primarily. I mean, hey, if they if if the law dropped and said you can run them outside of season, but nothing during season, I'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. I'd be totally fine with that. Yeah, yeah, and I I one of my other favorite reasons for them is too, is that I hunt some of the properties that I do with my dad. Also, my dad lives a couple hours away and it's, it's really cool to, to talk to my dad about deer that we're both seeing on camera, you know, and him being two hours away. I don't have to have him sitting here in front of my computer to show him SD card. Yeah. You know, my dad will text me at 11 o'clock at night. 
hey, that big eight point is at such and such spot. Did you see that a couple hours ago? You know, yeah. it's just really cool. It's a cool, yeah. you know, it's a cool way to talk to your dad about stuff like that at night. And, yeah, yeah, that's real cool. That's real cool. So if we um, were, were to, to look back at some of the deer you shot, dude, you, you've shot some some really big bucks in, in Ohio and, you know, throughout your, your hunting career. Um, what even going into this fall, what what type of buck is something that is going to be something that you're you're uh, are you age? Are you antler? What's good when you're when you're going through and you're you're finding deer this this summer and, and early fall? What's what's the bucks? Um, what class or what what um, age structure of deer are you, are you looking for? What's going to trip your trigger this year? Knowing that you 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 got a little one at home and your time might be, you know, a little bit short this year. Um, I want to give you like a feel good answer here, but like honestly. <laughs> what trips my trip it's a five-year-old buck for sure okay. yeah um and i because i bounce so you know i bounce around and do so much scouting with cameras and stuff i can usually i can usually locate a pretty decent five-year-old buck or two in in the span of you know a three four month period and you know june july august september i can usually find something like that if i'm lucky now whether they stick around or not mm-hmm. that's kind of been my my achilles heel here lately the past couple of years but um, yeah, it's, it's probably a five-year-old buck and it, not to say like, you know, if, if uh, I have a, a buck here above me, it was my first trad buck. He was probably like a seven or eight-year-old buck, but he's, he might score like 110, 115, but he's just gnarly and thick and just nasty. Yeah. And, um, you know, something like that popped out. I would for sure. Yeah. That's good. No, yeah. But <laughs> But yeah, I mean something like a, a five-year-old buck. I, I hate to put a score on it, but but man, like if I see a a one fifty, one sixty, I'm I'm calling off work early. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, in Ohio, in, in Southeast Ohio, generally, you know, you know, the, a, a five-year-old buck is going to be one forties to one sixties generally. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a lot to to that, but that's. You know, you get a ten pointer in in Ohio that's five years old, or an eight, a big eight or a nine pointer. It's gonna it's gonna be close to that. They they I hunted out there for a couple of years, and there's some big bucks in Ohio without a doubt. Uh, there used to, there's not anymore. There used to be, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, like you said, one one forty, one fifty. That's a pretty good. That's a really good buck for around here. I mean, you drive you drive a little bit west of here and you really start to run into some good deer, but, but for around this area, like a 150 is a hell of a deer around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, one of the things Ohio had, um, is, is the bait, the baiting aspect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that puts a lot of, uh, it did for a guy that's coming from out of state that puts a lot of, um, I don't know. It, it puts a lot of, um, I don't know what the word I want to use is, it makes things a lot harder. Let's put it that way. I mean, if you get into a big public piece, obviously public, you can't bait, bait in Ohio on public, but you can on the private. Um, if you stay away from those edges where guys are maybe pulling bucks off of public and you know, on, onto private and stuff like that, it's probably not as bad where you can get a big, some of the places I've hunted weren't quite that big. And, you know, you had to be, you had to kind of get up close to some of the private land 
to get deer, you, you know what I mean, to, to see deer. Um, or you had to be so far away that the deer weren't affected by it. But there's really not – there's some big pieces in Ohio. There, There is some big pieces in Ohio. But um, Delaware, we hunt, it's the same way. So Delaware is you can – private land guys can, can bait. The public people can't. Which, okay, I'm cool with that. You own your land and, and everything. But when it comes to the late season, <laughs> you can't. Like, a public, the public land guys don't even have it. They don't even have a chance. A deer don't even go, really go on. They stay on the farms. You know what I mean? Where a guy's got, got bait piles. So, that, that throws a whole different thing in from a, from a person coming from another state and going into a state that's like that. that that's, that's a big wrench to get thrown into your plans that you have to kind of plan ahead for, to me. Yeah like Ohio or Delaware. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossbow hunters here. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that hunt with their kids here at a really super young age. So, I mean, like some of my buddies hunt with their kids and they're like four or five years old. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you'll, if you walk on the neighbor's property, like there's yeah, maybe, you know, if you were to take a walk from my house here, and do like a half mile radius, there's gotta be 20 corn piles within a half mile. There's just, you know, there's people, there are a lot of smaller parcels, mm-hmm. you know, runs 30 acres and XM's five acres. And like, there's somebody hunting on every single piece. Mm-hmm. And around here, um, I'll tell you the story in a second, but around here, if, if there's nobody hunting on a property, they just don't allow hunters. Like you, you rarely, 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 with the exception of the other day, I found a couple like this, but you will not find a property that doesn't have someone on it and they've never, they've they've never been asked. So it's either going to be a no or there's already somebody there. So there's just, yeah, a lot of small parcels, a lot of people hunting and yeah, there's, there's corn everywhere. Yeah. But but you can, I think you can kind of use it to your advantage. If you know, people are hunting on the, on the neighbor's property with bait, um, Mm -hmm. those deer might not be betting on that property. Also, they might be betting, you know, two properties over and, and going a half mile after dark to get to that corn and you can intercept them, you know, if you can cut them off. And I think that, and a lot of my local buddies here agree with this, that baiting, you, you'll kill a lot of two, three-year-old bucks on bait, yep. four-year-old bucks. The guys that are killing like five and older year old, year old bucks on bait, they're really, really, really being smart about it and low pressure because if you screw one thing up, man, with a bait pile, like if you, if you have a five-year-old buck coming into bait and you get out too early from your tree and he was, you know, five minutes late getting there, like, that's it. That was your one chance. You might not even know that you mm-hmm. blew it, but a lot of guys do themselves way more harm. If they're trying to kill a mature five-plus-year-old buck, they do themselves way more harm than good on bait. You know, they're just really just, they're just putting a big beacon out there. Hey, I'm a hunter. I put this here. You know, come get it if you want, but you know, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of their pictures are after dark. Yeah, yeah. We we've had a, a few people that bait in Jersey on um on the podcast. Um, one guy's a a real killer of really big bucks, and he basically you know told us that he baits. Um, everybody else baits. He's got a bait to get the 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 uh, deer on his pieces, and but his thing is. He says he's going to write a book about it, but he said that um, if you're going to hunt bait, you're going to hunt really mature bucks on bait like that. You got to have your setups where you can actually get in and out of your your stand or your blind 
well, the deer are on the bait in and out without the, knocking them off of it and everything else. How he's doing that, I don't I don't know. We didn't really get into all that. He said, you know, you can read my book when I write it. But <laughs> so I don't know if he's using creeks with big head, you know, with hedges and uh, and creeks and popping up a tree that way. But um, if I guess if you can do that, then then it's wow. You know, that kind of beats what what you're saying. If, if there's a possibility of being able to do that, how you how you do it, I'm not really sure. But um, you remember remember what I'm talking about, John? I do. Jason? I do remember. Yeah. 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 He said these little one acre pieces, he'll put a bait pile in there and he can almost bait the bait with the deer in there. That's basically what he said. He can almost like freshen the baits up while they're in there and hunt them so how he's doing that i have no idea i've been hunting for 40 something bow hunting for 40 something years and i haven't been able to quite figure that out but i, I don't hunt on bait either though so but yeah you guys have, have probably heard uh lee and tiffany lakoski talk about it mm-hmm. feed deer you know in the summertime and i've heard lee talk about like he will they don't you know they don't worry about how often they're going in there in the summertime like they will purposely go in there every day on the, the side by side or whatever and rebate and check, you know, just put their scent in there every day. And, and eventually the deer just kind of, you know, they just say, well, this is, this is normal. This isn't a threat anymore. Yeah. Know, leave a noise. So, so whenever those deer do smell you in October, November, they get that same scent, you know, they're not too worried about it, but I don't know, man. I, I think that some of these, some of the, and I think all deer have personalities too, but the, their own personalities but some of these old bucks they just will not tolerate anything anything i i missed a buck in 2019 18 19 watching him in the summer before that on a on a hay field and i had pictures of him for about a month prior to that he was using a couple different trails to come into this alfalfa field in the evening and it was like he's using you know, trails so I just, I went in, it was October 3rd or 4th. It was really early in the season. And I went in and I picked one of the trails and I popped up a stand on it on the downwind side of it. And he came in and he stood underneath my tree and long story short, I missed him. I might've like grazed some hair off the top of his back and I never saw that deer again. That deer never came back, you know, never had another photo of him, never saw him again the rest of the season. It was like, that was it, man. Like he's just not just not going to tolerate it. Something bad happened there. I think he caught a little wind right before that. So he, you know, that even double boogered him up there. And it's like some deer the the deer I just showed you up on the wall here, that, that super old one. Um, he just kind of, in his older age, he kind of got a little bit, uh, lackadaisical about it. I had, I killed him in December. I had missed him. Actually I grazed his shoulder blades to the end of November and this dude just walked around like, no, you know, I've, I've made it this long. I'm this old. I'm, I'm the king dangling here. Nothing's going to hurt me. You know, he yeah. was walking in day. I had daylight pictures of this year every single day. He was on a turnip. Actually, he just didn't give a crap about anything. But, you know, the other buck that I'm telling you about and that I missed, he had one shot at that deer and that's it. So. Hmm. Yeah. Like you said, they all, they all have different personalities. Um, I've heard people, you know, talking about bait piles or whatever. I've heard people talk about um, you have to build when you're building, like, let's just say you have one acre that you can, 
you can bait on in your backyard. You have to actually build it generationally into the deer to not be as scared until you're ready to pluck one. You know what I mean? Like you had to um, bait for years and years and years on some, some of those places. What's that? <laughs> it's called grooming. Yeah. Well, basically that's what it would yeah. be. Yeah, basically <laughs> yeah. grooming. Like you're not giving them any, you're, you're not giving those deer any reason to really fear it. Even if you're around right. there or anything like that, there's no fear. They haven't seen a mur- murder scene. You know what I mean? So until the day that that buck gets to the point where you, you want to do it. So it's tricky. Well, I even saw, I, I saw, Oh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. The, the tricky thing real quick, like when you said there's like around here, there's a ton of bait piles around here. The tricky thing, mm-hmm. if you, if you set up a, a corn pile and, you know, and for inventory purposes in, in July and they come and smell that maybe they're not getting spooked off of yours, but your sloppy neighbor, a quarter down, a quarter mile down the road, also has corn out, and he's mm-hmm. every day with his kids, with his dogs, and and I think that they can start to associate corn mm-hmm. or whatever with, you know, with the boogeyman, with bad stuff. So just because it's not on your property that that it's bad, or they might have they might have got wounded last year on a corn pile. Mm-hmm. They just don't, they don't deal with it. Or they got wounded on a feeder, so they don't do feeders anymore. They might eat corn off the ground, but they're not going to do a tripod feeder anymore. So, right. Yeah, I think, I think um, that, that reminds me of the conversation that we had with Dieter um, talking about how when deer experience threats from, you know, 20 feet from a tree, um, hunting 12 feet from a tree is no longer a threat. Yeah. So, does that make sense? So it's condi- it's definitely conditioning them, conditioning the deer. When I yeah. um, that on that show, I was like, yes, like that, that yeah. makes perfect sense because, and, and I find it at some other states too, like Kansas, um, deer don't seem like they look up as much around there, but like around here, if you're, if you're 20 feet, they're picking you out. If yeah. you're 12 feet, they might not pick you. And that's exactly what he was talking like that. Absolutely, yeah. that's true. He's spot on with that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it's very similar here in Jersey. I mean, I mean, we. It, you know, the more that that we talk with others around the country, like um, your situation uh, w- w- with baiting and the pressure of people hunting every single parcel available. I'm, I'm experiencing that. I mean, I hunt. I have been hunting um, permission private. But, uh, and I experience that all the time. Like, I mean, bait piles here, but, and, and, you, and Greg actually, I, you know, talking with him kind of mm-hmm. share some knowledge on how to use it to your advantage and, and it works, you know? Yep. That mm-hmm. definitely works. Mm-hmm. Well, that's enough bait pile talk anyway, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think any, any of us use bait piles. So. No, we don't. I, just can't, yeah. I can't afford it. I mean, corn, shoot, it's like 11, 12 bucks a bag here. Yeah, it's not ridiculous. Only, and not only that, though, like I, I look at it and then we'll get off it, but it that it takes work. That's a lot of work to <laughs> lug, lug all that. Like, why not just take that energy and put it into scouting? I don't know. I'm I, I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I'm just yeah, that's how exactly. my mind works, you know. Yeah. So Tim, real quick, would you um, go over your gear for for people that are listening? And, and you know, like part of this whole trad month is um, to get people to to uh, wanna 
think about getting their grandpa's bow out or, or maybe, you know, finding a recurve someplace on, on, on Facebook marketplace or, or something like that. And just to give it a shot. So let, why don't we go through and, and talk about where you're maybe where you started real quick. I know that you used to collect, you collect collected bows or you use a lot of different bows, but maybe like where you started, where you're at right now and just a quick journey without hitting every single one, but just a quick journey from like where you started to where you're at and maybe even get into like your, your aiming method or, or your, your shooting style. Okay. Does that make sense? The loaded question. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is, but yeah, loaded, but it's not, I mean, I, unlike some trad guys, like I, I really try and just really keep it simple on that stuff on the aiming side, but uh, on the bow side, when I got started, I I bought a, a used bow online. Mm-hmm. I think it was from Archery Talk, and it was a Predator recurve bow, and it was way too heavy for me. And this is one of the things you hear a lot of guys say when they first get into this stuff that they bought they bought a fifty pound bow or you know something like that. And it's just if I could have done that over again, and if you're out there listening and you're thinking about it, like you need a forty pound bow, hundred percent, and you need to spend just buy a cheap one learn how to shoot it, get a 40 pound bow. I honestly you get a 35 pound bow and shoot it for a couple months and bump it up to a heavier one. But I was way over at the beginning and it really like kind of soured my taste for it a little bit. I still fought through it and stuck with it, but it would have been a lot more enjoyable, enjoyable if I had a, a lighter bow. Um, mm-hmm. And from there, I, the first custom bow that I bought, it was I ordered one from South Cox. who we talked about earlier, beautiful bow. Mm-hmm. Um, killed a couple deer with that one. And I, as my friendship with him grew, like I, you know, kept ordering more and more and we were kind of, you know, sometimes like I would edit a video for him in exchange for a bow. So like I have, I probably have six or eight of his bows. Um, I, I actually bought a bow from a guy today that I had, it was one that I had bought from South I sold it to a guy and told him, if you ever sell this, I want to buy it back. And I bought it back from him today. Mm, nice. So, but uh, yeah, South makes amazing bows. Um, I shoot a couple tall tines recurves from Michael Arnett. He makes an okay. bow as well. He's kind of a, a younger boyer on the scene. I think he's had tall tines for maybe four or five years now, but he's a good mm-hmm. buddy of mine as well. Um, I have a... I, I should just carry you over there and show you these bows. Let's do it. Let's, do Let's it. check them out. <clears throat> so if you're if you guys are just listening, um, we do post these on on YouTube. So oh, okay. At the at the, I guess hour and five minute, you can fast forward and check out these bows. Can you see these? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So this is a this is a 1950 something. Damon Howitt Hunter that I just picked up mm-hmm. at uh, the Compton Rendezvous. This is, nice. this is a South Cox Wolverine G10, green G10. Yeah. This is a 1988 silver tip, Schaefer silver tip recurve made by, made by Paul Schaefer himself. This is like the holy grail of bows. Yeah. Um, I'll probably start out hunting with this bow this year. The silver tip. Okay. Set this down. This is an old Browning Explorer 2 that I just picked up. I hope this isn't dark. This is that first bow that I got from South that I was telling you guys about. 
Mm-hmm. So is it, is it that Browning that you bought back? You sold and bought back? No, no, that was another. Uh, that was another stalker, and I don't have it back yet. Oh, gotcha. Should be here. Uh, should be okay. here Thursday, according to tracking. I got you. How's that better? Oh yeah. 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 This is that first one that I was talking about that I got from South. No, he man, he makes a beautiful ball. Yeah, he really, really does. Yeah, he really does. Another coyote here from South Recurve. This is a uh, Tall Tines by Arnett, Michael Arnett. It's got. Where's, where's he out of? Where's Where's Michael Arnett out of? He is out of Wichita, Kansas. Okay. And then another bow of Souths in the corner there. I don't know if you can see it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, there's bows all over the place in here. I'm, I'm not a big. I'm not as big of a bow maniac as some guys are some guys are a lot mm-hmm. worse than i that's what i tell my wife anyway <laughs> but that's it yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't classify myself as a collector but mm-hmm. i have a handful of bows that i like to have so when we look through that we look through that that lineup of bows right there um poundage wise what's your highest and what's your your lowest and and um what's your average i would say then Average is about 50 pounds. Okay. At my draw length. So, yeah, right around like 50 or so. Give or, okay. Give or take a few. Now, when you when you say, and we'll get back to you finishing up what you're, well, you said you're going to be, be hunting with the silver tip. When you say that you're starting with that, you're going to start the season with that, you don't have any problems at all with, with the cast from bow to bow to bow and, and getting your, um, you know, getting your range and, and, and everything, uh, throughout the season by changing like that. Like for me, that's, that's a big change for me. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be shooting right underneath the briskets of those and everything else. You know what I mean? By changing arrows, poundages, shoot, you know, bows. You don't have any problem with that, Tim, or if I, what's your experience? If I was like going out and shooting 3d courses or something, yeah, I would have a big, big issue with that um but like i said like most of these tree stand setups that i have they're they're 20 yards and in mm-hmm. counters i have are 10 yards and in they're they're super close stuff and most of these bows are right around the same poundage they're you know okay. 48 to 52 i'm drawing yep. the same draw length um I, I actually use the same arrows out of a lot of them so you know it's there's it's not a situation where it, i'm having to completely like relearn how I'm holding. Like the, the thing that I do see from one bow to another are horizontal hold, you know, differences there. Like if I, if I shoot this silver tip for a day then I pick up a, then I pick up a, a stalker, like it might be hitting three, four inches to the right or to the left, but like casts not so much. And if there is any difference in cast there, like I can usually shoot it for 15 minutes and kind of relearn where it's at. Gotcha. Or anything. Yeah. So when you when you're saying that you're you're shooting the same arrow, that means your your mind for a 48 to a 51, those, those three pounds aren't going to be that much difference with when you're shooting a 590 grain arrow. Let's just say that's it's not that big of a deal. Or a 720 grain arrow. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Not that big of a deal for me. Yep, good deal. So let's let's talk about that arrow then. Let's let's talk about what you run in weight, what your your spine is, and um, 
you know, what you're, what you're, uh, putting on the front? Um, the past few years I've been shooting aluminums. I have a, an aluminum fetish right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I buy a lot of like new old stock stuff like from eBay or, you know, from guys or whatever, but I like, I really like shooting arrows that are borderline older than I am. (laughs) You know, just thinking like, oh, these things were sitting on a shelf in an archery shop for the last 30 years. And now they're, you know, they're here. I'm going to suit them up and shoot them. But I shoot a lot of 2219s, which is like a 337 spine. So it's like a 340 carbon and uh, 200 grains up front usually. So my arrows, they, you know, they usually run like, mid to high 600 grains sometimes they they bump over 700 grains depending on how long they are but i mm-hmm. think last year they were right around like 680 690 which you know it's like if you guys if you have compound guys listening there's gonna be like holy crap like yes. be such a slow air but like it, it, inside 15 yards it doesn't matter it yeah. doesn't matter they hit like freight trains and they're because they're so heavy they soak up so much noise that they're just like so quiet man I, I, I shoot one of these and then i shoot like a gold tip pierce next to it and it's night and day difference the amount of noise that they soak up from the bow yeah so anything i think i feel like any anything that you lose in speed you gain with a heavy air you gain in quietness yeah so yeah. so i shoot i shoot a compound and my arrow last year was over 600 well over six. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but this year I am, I am dropping down to about five. Um, I lowered my draw weight five pounds and I'm probably going to decrease it next year. Another five, just Todd and I, we, we did a podcast on longevity, like being able to still draw back as long as we can and hunt the way that we want to, mm-hmm. uh, for as long as possible. And, there's no need to pull back 70 pounds, you know, yeah. um, for me anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we had the, one of our, some of our first episodes, we had uh, the ranch ferry and then Dr. Ashby on. And so 690 is not really, not really heavy for those guys. You know what I mean? So, um, and you know, like Dr. Ashby will say the 650, they, he does not even talk about bow weight. He just talks about arrow weight. Doesn't yeah. he doesn't care if it's a forty five pound bow or it's a sixty pound bow. He doesn't really care. It's it's about the arrow setup. It's about that six hundred and fifty grains with a single bevel up front. You know what I mean? So he doesn't really care about the the bow weight. It's not even really one of his factors. Mm-hmm. You know. So so yeah. That's a I mean, good. I, st- I, st- I still might shoot. I still might shoot the heavier one. I don't know. I'm gonna put a little. I'll do some testing on them. Yeah. Between the two, I'm shooting about a 727 grain arrow right now out of my my 45 pound longbow. So I'm I'm relearning that cast because I've been shooting a 590 out of my Satori for the last few years. But that Satori is a little bit on the heavy side for me right now. So I'm yeah. That's probably so. I got I got to ask you guys. I got to ask you guys this. And and so one one thing that kind of um. I mean, there's a couple of things, but one of the one of the main things that has kept the meter from like more staying towards a compound is just um, the thought of going from you know let's, let's call it a pin sight to shooting naturally. 
um, or instinctive uh, shooting. And, and that, that just seems like um, a big mountain to, to climb. Uh, and, 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 you know, is it something that I should start now and then plan on, okay, two years from now I'll have it down, or is it something that's fairly easy to pick up? I guess it depends on the person and all that too, but what has been your experience, Tim, with, with so, the learning curve of... Yeah, when that? I shot a compound for the last five, six years that I shot a compound, I shot a single pin slider. It was a CBE Tech Hunter Pro to, to mm-hmm. date my compound. It probably sound like, <laughs> like an ancient site to you guys, but it was a single pin slider and I would set it at, I would never move it in a hunting situation. I would set it at 30 yards and I had a sight yeah. tape and everything, but I would set it at 30 yards. And if I had a deer at 20, I would aim at the bottom of their chest. If I had a deer at 40, I would aim, you know, top of their back or not yeah. even, you know, just a couple inches high. And if it was anything further than that, it was usually like a field edge scenario where they were feeding and I had time to range them with the range finder and dial in my sight tape. I had time to do all that. And now yeah. I don't shoot instinctive. I don't, you know, I don't do that. I, I use my arrow tip exactly the same as I use that single pin on that CBE. So I, I know what that point on is. And it's typically like the way you know, as heavy as my arrow is that it's like 20 yards. So I put that tip if I have a deer at 20 yards, I put that tip right on. If a deer is at mm-hmm. 10 yards, I put it a little bit low. If it's at 30 yards, I'm probably not shooting anyway, but if I wanted to, I'm holding a little bit high. So I'm using my arrow tip exactly like a single pin sight. Okay. And there's no, okay. you know, I mean, and you, you could pick that up in a few days. Yeah. So really the only thing changing is then your anchor point in comparison to a compound. Yeah. Right. And, you know, no let off also, but. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people, I'm not saying that you're doing this, Sean, but I, a lot of people are, uh, they just like, they overthink what it's going to take to be successful in this. And, and dude, I guarantee like if, not talking, not trying to talk you into making the jump, but like if we bought you a, a used recurve, I sent you one of these bows tonight, you would be hunt ready in like two weeks. Oh, really? For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you were shooting every night, every other night. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the old stigma of like, you're going to have to put months and months into this. You don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. As long as you, you tell yourself, you know, this year, like it's, it's 20 yards and in, it's 25 yards and in, like I'm that, that 40 yard shot. Well, I don't, I don't do that anyway. I mean, just right. from the, the, you know, um, habitat of where I hunt yeah. with it being so thick. I mean, my closest shot or my, further shot what last year was uh 18 yards i think 19 yards mm-hmm. so i'm i'm in i'm in that trad that trad zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's nothing wrong with people that go back and forth either i got some buddies that go back and forth you know it doesn't have to be like sell your compounds and go to the dark side it doesn't have to be like that it can be yeah that's be every point. other hunt you know with this really a lot of it for me is dependent on what my shoulders are telling me to do right now. I have a 45 pound uh, old single cam that I, that I have to pop out every once in a while with my shoulders. Uh, I got back from ETAR last year and I probably put like a hundred arrows through that day or whatever that I was up there. And I came back and I took, I generally shoot every day and I came back, I took the Sunday, I went up Saturday 
I took the Sunday off and Monday after work, I went up to take a shot and I couldn't draw my bow. My, my bow arm actually shoulders started collapsing on me when I was, I couldn't get to full draw. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know what I mean? Like I got like a month before velvet season opens up here. What the hell's going on? I was mm. so angry, man. You know what I mean? I was still shooting my 590. I was, I took my, my arrows out of the, out of my cell way and put them in my, my, uh, compound quiver. I was shooting a, a, a 590 grain arrow with a 250 grain cutthroat up front and they were flying perfect out of a 45 pound single cam to be honest with you but uh yeah yeah i had to bounce back and forth a little bit last year and it really sucked i didn't like it at all it's just not i hated going back after seven years or something going back looking through a peep site and yeah a mechanic you know what i mean a wrist it sucked it sucked but it is what it is <laughs> it is what it is. You get older, Timmer. Time, you're gonna, you're gonna start. You're, what do you? You said you're 38. You got, you got about 12 years, and you're gonna start falling apart real, real quick, buddy. <laughs> Some little, little shoulder pains now that are like inexplicable. I don't know why. I don't know where they're coming from. And it's, yeah, it's little aches and pains. Like you know, it's bad when you start to get up in the morning, mm-hmm. hurt, and all that you did yesterday was sit in your truck. And like changes some diapers and walk the dog at night and shoot your bow in the yard. You didn't do anything. You didn't climb any trees and your knees hurt. Yeah. 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 But it's starting. All, it's starting, Tim. All those sports you played when you were a young kid and all the running around you did and falling out of trees and building tree forts and falling from branch to branch, all that stuff you did when you were a kid, it does come around. Yeah. It does come around. 100%. Yeah. So one of the things you, you had said, uh, this is one of my, my questions for you is, um, you already answered it, but we're going to, we're going to throw that one out. You went to too heavy of a bow. That was one of the things you said you would not, you would tell yourself not to do, but besides that, what, what would, um, Tim Neville today tell the Tim Neville that was starting out with that first bow? And, and getting back getting into this what would you tell yourself to do differently after after the years that you've been been doing this hmm. from a from a traditional perspective yeah yeah not a life thing yeah we all have we all have 10 things we could tell ourselves we want to done in our lives well, <laughs> from from a trad perspective yeah um i think Hmm. Let me think. Let me think about that one. I don't think there's too, I don't think there's too much that I would I think I I've blown a couple encounters mm-hmm. on like mega bucks in the last right. since I since I took a recurve up and I think I put too much pressure on myself in the beginning because I haven't I I still haven't killed like one in this what I called caliber mega bucket like 171 i've never killed anything that big mm-hmm. and i put too much pressure on myself in the in the beginning those beginning years with the recurve that i was just like devastated man like when i missed that buck or the year prior to that um i had i was after a big deer he was somebody ended up finding him dead after that and he scored like 186 187 mm-hmm. something like that but I, I had an encounter with him he came in what I thought was upwind to me and he must've caught a thermal or something. And he just like, mm-hmm. but it's just, I really, really 
beat myself up at the beginning there, like kind of, you know, that, that devil sitting on my shoulder talking like, man, like you shouldn't have done this. Like this, this, this should have been something that you did like, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Not now, like not now before you've kind of accomplished what you wanted to accomplish in bow hunting. Like you should have done this later. And that's, it kind of took a little bit of, of the fun out of it for me. And I think mm-hmm. the stage that I'm in now is, um, I'm just, I'm trying to, and in 2023, I really want to do this, but I want to, regardless of what I have on camera in July, August, September, I just want to put my emphasis on having a good time, having good encounters in the woods, enjoying it. Because like I said, I don't get, I don't get out as much as I used to with, with the baby and everything. And, um, yeah, you know, I don't have to be like an Adam Hayes or, you know, Andre to quit. I don't have to be that guy. You know, I can, right. I can like, yes, it's one of the primary reasons I moved here was to chase big deer like that, but I can still hunt and have a good time and, and you know, not, not, you know, a be hunting deer like that or be, um, be killing deer like that. Cause the last couple, I haven't killed a buck in two years. I've been skunked the last two years and both of those years, um, I was chasing one buck in particular the last two years and he was just a ghost, man. Like I had one encounter with him two years ago. I wounded him. I hit him high in the shoulder and spent the rest of that year chasing him. He came back last year. I spent the entire year waiting to steer out and he was a ghost. And it just like, mm-hmm. it really, it made my season, you know, not, not as much fun as, as it could have been. You know, I should have been, I should have been bouncing around. I should have been exploring new areas, should have been hunting some old areas that I have always had a great time at and, and really loved to hunt. But instead I was just like, I was just waiting. <laughs> I was waiting at his house and he never came home. Yeah. And it, you know, it just, it's just not, it's not a very fun way to spend a, a fall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess it's not trad specific, mm-hmm. but well, I mean, I, I would say that the two things that I took away is, is um, I think what resonated real, real well is, is that you don't have to go all in. I mean, it is something that you could be an either or, you know, uh, get started with a, with a trad and, and, you know, you can still use your – because I, I immediately think just that's my mentality. Like, if I pick something new up, I'm, like, all in. Um, <clears throat> so that's big. And then also the, the poundage, like, stay around that 40-pound mark also mm-hmm. as a good rule because i if you know without talking with todd or you or anything like that i i'm thinking well i pull a 65 pound so you know yeah you know, not not even thinking about let off and i mean i know there's no let off on a traditional bow but still i'm like yeah yeah so okay i guess we'll jump back into this thing everybody's on chargers and john you drain your main vein there you're all good to go good to go all right let's let's get rocking again all right so really good answer tim on on what you wouldn't wouldn't do um years ago when you first started that that's a good one i i like that one man about uh about the different size bucks you chase or or chasing uh like single deer and being being worried about making the change that that's good i like Um, the fact dude hold on a sec i like i like the fact that you said you just want to go back to having fun and i think i think um, I think that's something that's missing um, often in in the hunting industry because of the pressures from social media, 
from, mm-hmm. you know, just the industry as a whole. And if, if, uh, those of you that listen to this, if you're not having fun, you're doing, you're doing something wrong. You got to make a change. You got to switch it up. Um, so that's, it's good. It's good to hear you, especially somebody like with your experience, Tim, and, and, you know, you, you gave it, you gave it a two year effort chasing, chasing one buck and you're humble enough to say, all right, you won. I'm going to go have fun now. You know, mm. that's kind of, that's kind of how I'm perceiving that, that message, which yeah. I think, which I think is great. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So Tim, why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit? Why don't you give your 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 uh, an opportunity to go ahead and talk about the uh, your your new podcast? I know you're a couple episodes in, but I, I think um, through some of the messages and stuff like that we sent back and forth, that you're about to unleash on the world um, <laughs> a bunch more, right? So let, let's yeah, give yourself an opportunity to talk about it, man. I, I want to hear about it too. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's called the traditional bow hunting podcast, real original, right? Real, uh, nice generic name there, but it's, um, it's myself, Tyler Carlson and Nick white. And we, um, I, I guess the goal of the show is kind of to, to, um, preserve the like stories and memories and experiences and hunts of a lot of these older guys that, that came before us and, and they kind of paved the way for what we're doing now and, and not, not just paved the way for trad people, but paved the way for, for compound guys as well. You know, yeah. um, you know, back in the fifties, sixties, eighties, um, and all that we're, we're two episodes deep now. It's probably going to be a more relaxed format. All, all three of us have young kids. Um, we'll probably do an episode or two a month, maybe to start and kind of see where it goes from there. But, but yeah, um, yeah, we have, a little bit of a guest list put together so far and, and you know just be fun it'll be a good time yeah i, I listened to the, the gene wenzel the, the classic hey, hey are we recording yet yeah <laughs> did you get that did you get that did you get that part yeah is it all right for me to say that all, all the classic gene stuff man I, I love it yeah you've built up a very big network of good um not i don't want to say old but but just good old bull hunters, man. You got a great network to, to draw from. And you know, the, some of the, some of the, the, the podcasts you've done in the past with, with some of these guys, I mean, you can tell how much they, they have respect for you, man. And, and how much, um, how much they, they know that you, you are going to be one of those guys that are carrying the torch for this, for this sport. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's it cool now because, like whenever we were doing those initial podcasts with on the push side of things, like whenever we first started interviewing these old guys that none of them knew what a podcast was, you know, they, we had to like, there was a, there was always a, a starting conversation where it was like, okay, like we're going to call you from this number at this time of night. And, you know, you're not going to recognize the number because it's a Skype number, but pick up anyway. And, you know, it, so we had to, it's kind of like internet radio. It's like a radio program, but it's on the internet. And, you know, to a lot of these old guys, like, a, you know, I mean, they're, geez, there's a couple hundred of them that we did inter- interviews with at the push. But now, you know, they've been on, Gene's been on 10, 15 shows. Barry's been on probably 20, 30 shows. So now, like, they know what a podcast is and they, they listen to them themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gene listens to a lot of shows himself. So, 
you know, yeah. they'll, and they'll ask afterward, like how many, how many people listen to that? Like, was it a good hit? They want to know like, you know, yeah. what the feedback has been. So it's, I think it, it's kind of turned podcasting. I'm sure you guys are seeing now, like it, it's kind of turned the corner now where it's a little more mainstream and even the older crowd of guys, they, yep. you know, they're, they're uh, putting the app on their phone and or they're, they're going to your website and they're listening to the episodes on there. So it's, it's pretty yeah. neat. I tell you what we've, we've um, interviewed some guys from like Western Pennsylvania and stuff like that's in some other country places where some of these guys are down in hollers and stuff like that, man. And, and I'll tell you what, like we had a little bit of a hard time hooking up and it seemed like it was probably more on my side than anybody's, but I can only imagine like, especially when those guys were, you know, I mean, they're in, where, where are the Wenzels now? Are they Iowa? Or Illinois, <laughs> ones in Iowa, ones in Montana. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, one did stay out in Montana. I was, I was gonna say it's gotta be hard as heck to get good Wi-Fi and everything for like a Mont a guy out in Montana. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Sometimes I mean, yeah. Audio is definitely a challenge with with a lot of these guys. I remember one time with the push, we did an episode with um, Fred Eichler, and mm. he. He was out guiding or something, and he he literally pulled out. He drove up the mountain because he didn't have service at his his cabin. He drove up the mountain in his pickup truck and sat there and idled for like an hour and a half on the side of the road and talked to us first. So that's wow. you know kind of speaks about what kind of guy he is. But um, yeah, did you on the the Gene the Gene Wenzel episode we just put out? Did you hear about what we're going to get into with his stuff now about the legends not? Oh. Yeah, yeah, you're, you, he's got all the boxes of tapes and what is so, it like VCRs and Super Eights yeah. and stuff like that. What is it? What is it all you got? You're going to be doing. So back in like back in the the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. him, so Gene and another gentleman, his name was Jim Chin, um, traveled the country, basically doing what you guys and what I'm doing right now, podcasting. So they yeah, had right. a, they had a hit list of these these old bow hunters that they wanted to interview, and they typed out like an interview questionnaire sheet, and they drove all over the country, interviewing people on um, mostly like small audio cassette tapes. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. plan was for them to um, what's the word transcribe them to text and make a book out of it. Oh, so they were just, you know, recording it to take audio notes that they would later make a book out of. And mm-hmm. um, nothing ever happened with the project. The project just kind of like fizzled out and it was, you know, maybe three quarters of the way done. So Gene has had this this cardboard box of audio tapes of all these old guys from the 60s, 70s, 80s in a storage unit for the last 30 some years. And no one, wow. no one has, not even Gene himself has heard the audio on these tapes. Wow. So, so Gene, Dude, gave, that is gold. That is gold. So brother. He, he gave, he gave the, uh, the cardboard box to Tyler a couple okay. of weeks ago and Tyler bought some kind of, uh, some kind of contraption that ha- it's like a, a, a tape player that has a USB output that you can put into your computer and, and turn Make these cassette tapes wow. into an MP3. So we're going to, That's cool make a series out of this and start putting out episodes that are, I mean, Gene Wenzel was literally podcasting with people 30, 40 years before podcasting was even thought of. He didn't, yeah. he, he didn't even think that that's what he was doing, but that's what he was doing. And the audio, yeah. man, like when you guys hear the audio, it's like, you can tell it's older, 
but it's still crystal clear. And to think like this guy that the interview is, uh, he's dead. Yeah. He's yeah. dead. It's literally an interview with a ghost that's coming out for the very first time. No one's not even Gene himself has heard the audio on this since he hit the record button. Dude, he's going to probably cry when he starts hearing oh, some of that. The, yeah. Him and Barry both will probably cry because they're friends of theirs and they're acquaintances and pe- people that were in the industry. Like, I mean, think about Barry and Gene Wenzel. I mean, all the top killers now that have, that are around, they talk about them and Miles Keller as being the real OGs of bow hunting. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so just think about that. And then all the friends that they had, and, and being able to go around and record and, and maybe they weren't even friends. Maybe they were just somebody like that. Somebody else that led them to like, this guy's in, in Montana and this other County over here, he's willing to sit down with you, you know, and, and talk to you in a diner or something. However they did it. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, that is pure, pure gold, Tim. Yeah. It's going to be pretty neat. So do yeah. you have, do you have like a, an ETA as to when that'll start coming out? Um, I would say it would be out this summer for sure nice yeah. that's good we'll probably start trickling yeah. them out and they um tyler was telling me most of the guys you know like if he has an interview with uh say like jack howard there's three full cassette tapes so it's like an hour and a half interview with this guy and, and he, yeah. they're, he, they're asking the same kind of questions that that you guys ask people right you know what was your biggest challenge when you got into traditional well, tell me about your equipment things like that so it's going to be it's going to be neat to hear these answers from guys that are super dated and that you don't even know what kind of equipment they're talking about now, but it's the cool thing. I, th- I think it will be to hear some of the challenges that these guys faced and it's the same shit that you guys are going through right now. It's yeah, the right. same stuff that's, that's giving me a hard time. You know, that the struggles that people are having with their family and balancing that and their job and bow hunting, like, you know, it's going to be a cool thing to hear that, some guy went through this 40 years ago yeah and you're going through the same thing so yeah oh, with that's, wooden arrows. that's exciting yeah, yeah. that's cool <laughs> with wooden and aluminum arrows and you're you're putting yourself back in the aluminum arrow thing so that's cool man that's really cool tim i can't wait to hear that man I can't either. I haven't heard yeah. any either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's going to be awesome i'm sure that is sweet so, Tim, I tell you what, man, I really, really appreciate your time today. Um, it, it, it was a, a real blessing for you to spend a little bit of time with us. We're about 90 minutes here for you to spend a little bit of time with us today and, and help us with, with our podcast. And um, if there's any way that you can maybe get two people, because <laughs> we don't have that big of an audience, but if, if two people can come over and, and, and find yours because of us, that would be us being able to give, give something back to somebody like you, you know what I mean? That, that, that came over and gave us some time, man. So why don't you just go ahead one more time, tell everybody where, where they can find you on, on all the different uh, social media, um, maybe your website and, and every, everything else. Okay. Yeah. I, I, surely certainly appreciate the 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 invite to come on it's super flattering that anybody would want to talk to me about any of this stuff i don't i don't think of myself as like somebody that's guest worthy um you know i'm always on the other side the side of the microphone that you guys are on so to think that somebody would want to talk to me and like actually listen to what i'm saying about stuff like this is kind of it's a, it's a strange feeling and it's flattering so thank you guys a lot for that 
Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, not so much anymore, but Instagram is kind of the main place that you can find me. Just uh, Tim Neville or TD Neville on there. And our website, we just started a new website for this podcast, um, kind of with the goal of like a lot of these older guys don't have smartphones yet or they don't have apps on their phone to listen to this stuff. So we just put like a listen here tab on the website that you can listen, you know, listen to them on your computer or work or whatever. But that's just uh, tradbowhunting.com. So. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate you coming on, man. It's good. It's good meeting you. Um, I, I'd say you're move, moving the needle, moving the meter for me. Um, but we'll, <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not going to be this year, though. I can tell you yeah. that. But uh, no, great. Greatly appreciate you coming on for sure. And uh, for everybody else listening, we ask you to do three things: rate the show, drop a comment, and read Genesis twenty-seven three. And until next time, we will. Uh, We'll see y'all. Seek wilderness. wilderness.